You're listening to Westside Church. For more information, visit us at westsideinfo.com. Hey man, it's awesome to be with you guys. Do you guys stand down here or do you? Where did my dad stand? He was? So the short guys stand on the step. Chuck, okay, I'm, I'm standing on the step. It is uh, awesome to be with you guys. Thanks, Chuck. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Thanks, buddy. Woo-hoo. All right. Um, it is uh, great to have my parents uh, in Houston, Texas with, with us. They're five minutes down the road. They bought a house with a pool and spa, so guess where we're always at? I text my parents, hey, I'm coming over to have some jacuzzi time, and uh, they kick on the spa for me. It is fantastic. Um, for the 14 years that we have been leading a church in Houston, we haven't had my parents with us, and uh, to have them with us is just such a gift. Um, relationally, because they're my parents and my kids get to connect with them, but also because they're quality people. Um, just because they're not leading a church anymore doesn't mean that they're uh, done. Uh, they are active in the life of our church. They are leading a community group. Their community group is exploding. There's like 30 people in their group. Uh, we, we have a lack of leaders in the church right now. We had like a waiting list last time we did sign-ups for our community groups of 60-plus people that there was no space for them. And so my, my parents are on mission with us to raise some leaders. So they have four community group leaders that they're raising for the next term. And so they're just doing an absolutely fantastic job and uh, cannot uh, be more grateful for them. And so they're doing great. Some of you in this room don't even know who my parents are. Some of you don't even know who I am. Some of you don't even care who I am. You just say, preach the Bible. So it is fantastic to be with you guys. What was that? Oh, my parents send their huge love. Absolutely, they do. So, um, God put on uh, my heart a message for you guys. Uh, we were preaching through the book of 1 Corinthians, and we ended that book going through chapter 16. So chapter 16 is kind of like the ending of Paul's epistles where he uh, acknowledges some people. He talks about some missionary uh, endeavors and plans. And he gives these ending salutations. And oftentimes we think, okay, that's just like the the end of the book. Let's not pay so much attention to that. Um, But I got captured by it. And here's what I got captured by. I got captured by what Paul assumes. Paul is writing to this church and he makes some very clear assumptions as Um, of the church that he is addressing, of the Christians that he is addressing. So I want to present those assumptions to you, Um, and I hope to encourage us this morning. We have this idea, um, it's it's within society today, that uh, everybody has to have their own unique mission and calling. Uh, What is the purpose of my life? What is the purpose? And we watch so many movies about the purpose of my life. And we look at so many memes about the purpose of our lives. And we look at blogs and we look at YouTube and everybody's searching for a purpose. And if you don't have a purpose, then you're aching inside. You need a purpose. You need to self-actualize and to be a better version of yourself and truly make a mark in this world. 
Now, some of that is good. Some of that is good. But some of it is rooted in radical individualism. It's all about me. It's all about my self-fulfillment. And if you're a follower of Jesus, there is a radical shift that you underwent. It's not about you. It's about Jesus and his mission. And our ultimate purpose in life is to wrap our lives around the mission of God, not our own personal fulfillment around the mission of God. There's a, there's a theologian named Stanley Harris and he was critiquing what is called the therapeutic church. And this is where kind of everybody's like thinks that life is about them. And he makes this observation that pastoral care today within churches is uh, overwhelmed by the wounds that people have because they realize that they're not fulfilling their life's purpose. So a bunch of people are like, oh, I'm just having such a hard time. I'm, and... And there are legitimate wounds out there. But I'm saying wounds that are, that are caused because you are individualistic in your idea and motivation. And you want to be self-expressive. And you're like living with these aching feelings like you're not making a difference. Here's what he says. It's kind of harsh and it hits you pretty hard. Here's what he says. What did you expect? He's addressing Christians. What did you expect? Quit taking yourself so seriously. Enjoy having your narcissism defeated by being drawn into the church's eschatological mission to witness to Christ's cross and his resurrection. Kind of hits us between the eyes. I didn't mean to be mean this morning. Love y'all. But you guys, as Christians, we understand that there is a mission that Jesus, our Lord, has commissioned us to. If you're a Christian, you're a disciple. And we have a mission. We don't search for our own unique mission. No, we take our unique uh, calling and our unique giftings, and we throw ourselves into the great mission of God. And if you have a family or you're married, we take our family unit and we understand that God has uniquely wired us and gifted us all to participate in God's mission. So we as a family throw ourselves in the mission of God, in the advancement of the gospel, the discipling of people, and the planting of churches until the ends of the earth. Hear the name and fame of Jesus until the nations are discipled. This is what we are called to. You guys on board with this? So the big assumption that Paul makes is that we're all in this together. It's not that there are just a couple of leaders that are standouts in the church, and it's their job to make sure the mission gets done. So Joe, Chuck, and Matt, they're running around this church. Are you guys okay? Um, and they're the guys that we expect to be on mission, right? It's like being on a, a cruise boat where you're being served. You're on a lounge chair. And you have these servers, just a few of them, they're running around exhausted. Do, do you need another drink, sir? And they're running around. And, and oftentimes within the church in America, we have this idea that this is the way the church is supposed to be. So you have three or four people within a church like this. They're absolutely exhausted. They're running around like waiters. You don't need another drink. And then people in the church are going, I need to speak to the manager. The service here stinks. This is not what God had in mind for the church. The church isn't a place where you come and get um, entertained. 
You come and get patted on the back. You come and uh, just feel better about yourself. All those things do happen in the context of a loving community. But that's not why this church exists. This church exists to be on mission and to take itself and every single person into the mission that God has for you as a church. God has great things for you. It isn't just to exist. It isn't just to exist or to pull off a, a service. It is to make an impact in Placerville and into the surrounding cities so that more people would know the fame of Jesus. This is the assumption that Paul makes. We're all in this together. And our success as the church, your success as the church in this particular locality with your, your defined geography, your success as a church is going to be dependent upon everybody participating. Yeah. If it's just three or four people here to, doing all the work, no success. But if every person says, yes, my life's call is to wrap myself in the great mission of God, join together with other believers in this local church to be an expression to the greater Placerville area, yes, that is what God intends for us. You guys with me? All right, all right. So let's read the, the first several verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the church of Galatia, so you also are to do on the first day of the week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be a collection when I come. When I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should also go, they will accompany me. I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you in the, if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide open door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. When Timothy comes, see to it that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace, that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the other brothers. Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urge him to visit you with the other brothers, but it was not at his will to come now. He will come when he has an opportunity. Be watchful, stand firm, act like men, be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. So uh, I want to take four points, four points that I think Paul assumes of the church, of Christian believers, of those that would identify themselves as followers of God. What are the four points? He expects that we're all in this together. He expects that we're all participating in the mission together. So what is he expecting? So here's the first point. You guys ready? We're all in this together, participating in the mission financially. Yes, this is everybody's favorite point. Only a few people think it's good. Okay. <laughs> Paul is expecting that the Corinthians are going to participate financially in funding his journey and helping the Christians who are facing poverty in Jerusalem. And Paul is unapologetic about asking for money for the mission. Paul is so mission-minded that he just assumes, hey, I'm on mission, you guys are on mission too, so when someone's on mission, you financially participate. 
Not in question. Paul's unapologetic about it. And I pray for myself, God, would you help me to be unapologetic for asking for the funding of the mission? And uh, the elders here, I pray that you, you should be praying that the elders here that are responsible to lead this church are unapologetic about asking for money for the financing of the mission. Uh, a month ago, we brought a brother, he's a Nepali brother, uh, one that we've been working with for years. He leads um, the work that is happening in Nepal. There's over 35 churches that are working into the areas, and uh, he's been praying for his own building in the capital of Kathmandu. And it's crazy expensive because it's a corrupt nation, not that... Not that these people are making lots of money. It's corrupt. And so the, 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 the real estate is owned by outsiders of the nation. And so the, the prices are just ridiculous compared to the average earning wage. And so by God's grace, this guy has so much faith. 700000 a, a a businessman wrote a check, $700,000 for him to buy a little acre of land in the middle of Kathmandu. I mean, this guy had so much faith. And he's like, he's been asking me for like 10 years, like, I'm just believing for land. And I'm like, dude, I'm looking at $700,000. I'm like, that's, it's not going to happen, buddy. I felt like it's my responsibility to give him wise counsel to squash his faith. And lo and behold, someone writes a check. Just one guy. So I, I brought it. I felt like a gentle rebuke of the Lord for not having enough faith with my buddy Purin. And so I told our church. We brought him to our church. And I said, hey, he needs $100,000 to complete the first floor of his building. That's a lot of money. But this week, we're able to send $100,000. Yeah, super cool. Because the mission needs to be funded. Why? If we're Christians, if we have surrendered our life to Jesus, and he has given us a mission, he has a mission, we're participating in his mission, then it's a no-brainer that we should participate financially in the funding of the mission. I think subconsciously as Christians, we miss it. We think, we don't really think about how the mission is funded. I think maybe sometimes we think, oh, you know what we need to do? We need to like do a charity event. Let's like hire Sarah McLaughlin. And she could do a nice, you know, song for us. She could write a song, all these poor, miserable Christians. Look at these impoverished pastor kids. They need the funding. They need the money. Um, or maybe we think like some, of the, some billionaire, Elon Musk, is going to write the church a big check so we could be on mission. The, the Bible is incredibly clear and it's unapologetic. The funding of the mission, of the advancement of the gospel, of the mission of the church is to be funded by Christians. You and me. If you're on mission with us, then it's wholeheartedly expected that we're participating financially. God wants to do a lot of things through this church and it's going to require some money. So when these elders stand before you and they say, God's speaking to us, he's put faith in our heart for this particular thing, and we're going to charge the mountain, we don't have the funding yet, we don't have all the people yet, we don't have all the answers yet, but God's telling us to take a step, then it's a no-brainer for the church to say, we're in, we're on mission, let's do this thing, we're all in this thing together. 
Second point. Second point. We are all in this together, participating in the mission with faith-filled expectation. I love Paul's faith-filled expectation in this passage. Paul is full of faith. He's full of expectation. He's planning the mission. He's not delaying. He's running towards the mission. He's focused. He's motivated. He has this sense of urgency. He's facing opposition, and he's not losing enthusiasm. He is running towards the mission without stopping. Here's something that he says just to give some insight into Paul's faith-filled perspective. In verse 9, he says, For a wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Now, which one is it? You can't say both of them are true, Paul. One of them has to be true. Either there is a wide open door, or there are many adversaries that are opposing you. It's like a crazy kid, you know? You know, he's talking to his other kid. The candy store, the door is wide open, right? What does that lead you to believe? Oh, the what? What? No way. The door to the candy store is wide open? What does that mean to everybody who's listening? What? We can get all the candy we want. But then this crazy kid goes, but the wide door is open, but there is the store owner right at the door. Wait a second. Which one is it? And this is what Paul is saying. He's saying, there's this wide open door, there's lots of opportunity, but at the same time, there are many people who are opposing them. There is significant opposition. It's like, Paul, have you lost your mind? Which one is it? Paul is so faith-filled that he sees the, the opportunity is much greater than the opposition that they are presently facing. This is faith-filled expectation and perspective. Now, Paul is facing significant opposition. He tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, he says, we were facing such severe affliction and opposition from people that we thought we have uh, gotten the sentence of death. And we despaired of life itself. But thanks be to God who gave us strength in the midst of our weakness. I mean, he, he, he goes on to talk about. Significant. Now, there's nobody in this room that has faced the opposition that Paul has, persecution. Um, but we do face our own challenges. And our own challenge is busyness. We live in, you know, a nice area, suburb area. And uh, we have so much stuff to do. Like our schedule's full. And we got kids, and we got work, and we got demands all around us. We have opposition that we consistently are facing. And what Paul's mentality was, hey, I'm going to take all this seeming opposition, and I'm going to consider it insignificant. I'm going to push it down because the opportunity is before my eyes. If we're going to take on Paul's faith-filled expectation, his faith-filled eyesight, we're going to say, my busy life isn't going to dictate the mission that God has given me. And I am going to see with clarity the mission that he's called me to. 
This is what we are called. If we're on mission, we're all in this together. It requires focus. So Paul is planning the mission. He's talking about places that he's going to go. I absolutely love this. In verse 5, it says, I'll visit you and passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia. And then he goes on with the several plans that he has. And in this chapter and in the, the end of Romans, we see that Paul is constantly faith-filled, um, just expecting, okay, we, we, our mission is to advance the gospel, to tell people who hasn't heard it. So we're just going to go to the next town and the next town. And we see in Paul's planning that there's a lot of faith-filled expectation. And yet at the same time, there's like, no, this is absolutely going to happen. No, he's just saying, hey, God's called us to do this. Let's go. Let's do it. And so he says things like this. He says, I intend or perhaps, perhaps I will do this and go to such and such place. And perhaps, if the Lord permits, I will go to this place. Paul is faith-filled, planning, expecting that God is going to do something. But at the same time, he's open-handed, ready for God to, to change his course by the help of the Spirit's leading. And we see that in Acts 16, Spirit's redirected. Uh, Paul and his companions. So he's faith-filled, expectant, not holding on to his plan so tightly, and at the same time, he's open-handed. I think this is the right posture that, that, that we are to have as Christians. God, like the best we could come up with. That's what Paul's doing. He's just saying, okay, this is, my, this is what I think we could do. I mean, I'm not really 100% sure. Like we, we're facing so much opposition. We, we might get killed if we go into this city, but perhaps... If the Lord permits, maybe if we go into this city, many people are going to get saved when the church is going to be started. So we're going to go for it. We're going to be open-handed. And if the Spirit leads us or redirects us, we're moving forward on the mission. And I think this is the posture that God wants us to have. So this isn't just the leaders of a church having this faith-filled expectation for God. You could do great things. It goes beyond that the whole church owning this what are we all in together we're all in the mission together so we are all asking god to give us big eyes of faith-filled plans of what he can do um, we as a church moved into our own building a year ago and uh we moved into a building that was two and a half times the size of our old building which is significant it's like wow you know children's ministries which is always you know, been full, uh, two and a half times the size. We're thinking, yes, we're going into the next season and we're going to see God fill this and we'll see what he does. And uh, within six months, we have filled two services. We are at capacity. Um, God is just doing awesome things. And our story has been, God, give us faith-filled expectation. Uh, we're not going to tell you what to do. We're open-handed what we're going to do, but we're going to keep on taking the next step as you continue to open opportunities for us. So as an eldership team, we're, we're like, oh man, we've got to go to three services. That sounds pretty daunting and overwhelming. Who, who wants to do that? I mean, God, I mean, God's adding to our number. And we know that we came to a conviction. We need to have a third service because God's bringing us people. We've got to be good stewards with all the people that God's bringing. But we couldn't come to a consensus on like, what we were supposed to do, when we were supposed to add a third service. 
So we said, okay, we're gonna, as an eldership team, we're going to fast and pray all day on a Tuesday, and then that night we're going to come together, have a meal, and, and chat through uh, what we feel God's saying. Well, the day came, and I forgot I was supposed to fast. <laughs> so I didn't fast. <laughs> I, mean, I started fasting when I realized it about lunchtime. Um, but that afternoon I was praying, and I was reminded of a prayer meeting that I was in with the elders two and a half years earlier that I completely forgot about. And in that prayer meeting, I scratched down some thoughts about what God could potentially do, what the Lord might do if the Lord permitted. Perhaps the Lord would do something this amazing amongst us. It was kind of like that, that, the big faith-filled expectation. There's no way I can make this happen, but perhaps... If the Lord permits, maybe this could happen, was the kind of moment. I didn't share it with anybody because it was like the big faith thing. And I wrote down seven years, 2019, 2020, 2021, a seven-year plan. And we were 600 people at the time, 2019, when I wrote this down. And I wrote, for some crazy reason, that we were going to continue to grow pretty rapidly. How did I know that? I don't know. I'm not God. I can't see the future. I can't make things happen. But faith was in our heart. Perhaps, if the Lord permits, maybe. So 2019, we were 600 people. And I said, by the time of 2022, we were going to be 1,000 people. And we were going to be starting a third service on Saturday night. So, on the day of that meeting... Since the beginning of this year, we have averaged over a thousand people in our church service, and we are adding a third service on Saturday night. Two and a half years ago, I thought, "There's no way. This is good. This will blow my mind. This is going to be so." I, I can't even tell anybody. This is just faith in my heart. But then God does it. It's like, "Wow, God, you are so." so good. And I thought to myself, I thought to myself, well, God, what if I had bigger faith? Like, why didn't I have more faith than this? And I think God is inviting us as we participate in mission to have large faith. God, what can you do? Like, think about it. If you start to think with God perspective and your faith in your heart and expectation, God, what can you do through Westside? Like what would blow our minds two and a half years from now? Like what would be so like shocking? Like I can't even, I can't even go there. No, it's not going to happen. That guy become a leader? No way. That guy plant a church? No, not going to happen. Us buy an, another building for another congregation? No, it's not going to happen. If we're all in this together, then we're all allowing the bigness of our God to capture our vision, and we're putting aside the opposition and the difficulties and looking at the opportunity and say, God, perhaps you could do this. Maybe if the Lord permits, he can do this. And I want to call you, Westside, to have big faith. Expect God to do great things. What could he do? Personally, some of you have um, not been willing to be a leader. 
not step out, not be willing to serve, or, or not be willing to do something very significant that God's calling you to, like maybe have the boldness to, to reach out to your neighbors and start to tell the, about the goodness of Jesus. Perhaps the Lord can do something through you. Perhaps he can use you to bring the salvation of your neighbor. Perhaps he can use you to pray for someone in your neighborhood who is sick and they fully recover. Perhaps, if the Lord wills. All right. You guys still with me? All right. We got two more points, and I got to go fast. You guys right? Okay. We're participating in mission in posture. Um, Verse 13 says this. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. If we are mission-minded Christians, then it's going to affect our posture. It's going to affect our posture. So what is your posture presently? What is your posture presently? There's five commands here, and the first four are militant. What is Paul saying? If we're on mission, here's the reality. We're in wartime. We are not in peacetime. Many of us in the American dream are pursuing peace. We want a nice house, we want our nice income, and we want everything to be nice and comfortable. And if you are a follower of Jesus, there is no promise of ease and comfort and niceness. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have been invited into a war, a battle with significant opposition. If you're a Christian on mission, we are at war. There is a very real enemy and we are very really opposed, even though that doesn't, you know, that's not right grammar. We are opposed and it's a reality for us. And so what is required for all of us on mission, as we are to be vigilant, we are to be watchful. We are to be aware that the enemy wants our demise. The enemy wants your demise. He wants the demise of your marriage. He wants the demise of your family. He wants the demise of Westside Church. So the enemy is scheming. He's planning. He's strategizing for your demise. And he's going to do it in the most subtle ways, whether it's distraction whether it's allowing a little discontent and discouragement in your heart or whether it's allowing divisiveness to grow in your heart. The enemy is scheming with a plan to get us to stop being on mission. And if we are going to stay on mission, it requires us to have the right posture. We're in wartime and we need to be militant. We need to be strong. Now, some of us are like, yeah, and that's what I'm talking about. This is the kind of church I want to be part of. <laughs> it was just this. If it was just this, we, we'd probably be in trouble. If it was just this, then it'd be okay for professed Christians over the last two years who have been very angry, very combative, very ugly, doing ugly things in the name of Jesus over the last two years. I mean, the whole world's gone to chaos. Two years have been incredibly difficult. And professed Christians have joined into the mix of the ugliness 
and they have started to act out in the ugliness. And so if that, the first four was the only thing that Paul commanded us, and I was like, oh yeah, yeah, that's totally the Christian response. But that isn't the Christian response. Paul gives us five commands. He says, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. And here's what he wraps everything up with. He says, let all that you do be done in love. That we are to be warlike, strong, and yet incredibly loving. And this is what was so revolutionary about Jesus. Jesus doesn't was peace and meek and mild. No, Jesus was had a wartime posture, but at the same time, everything he did was in love. And so if we're going to be a church that's on mission, we're warlike, and yet we just cannot help but love everyone. We, we love those that we're on mission with. We love those that are opposing us. We're loving everybody because we know that our battle isn't against flesh and blood. It's against principalities, powers this dark age, and we recognize that every single person that stands before us, whether they're our opponent, whether they oppose us, whether they hate us or not, it's an opportunity to love them so that they can know the saving power of Jesus Christ. This is what it means to be on mission. The last one is this. If we're all in this together, we're participating relationally. Paul says this, for I do not want you to see, I do not just want you to see you in passing, I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. So throughout this whole chapter, there's this genuine love for each other. There's that love. And so if you read some of Paul's letters, you think, wow, Paul's a pretty, pretty you know, hardcore guy. He's always correcting people. He must seem like a cranky old guy. He must be like the horrible guy that nobody wants to hang out with. And Paul is opposite to that. I'm so thankful for chapter 16. We get an insight into Paul. He goes, hey, Paul has just spent a whole letter rebuking this church ridiculously. And he says, hey, I don't want to just see you in passing. I like want to hang out with you guys because I love you so much. Paul actually loves this church. He loves these people. He loves these believers. And if we're going to be on mission for the long haul as a church, as Christians, then we actually have to love each other. Like we have to love each other for the long haul. We're not just acquaintances. No, we, we're on mission together. And as we're on mission together, we, we know each other. We know each other's strengths and weaknesses. We offend each other. We get in, in irritated with each other at times. But love prevails, and we keep on believing the best about each other, keep on fanning the, the gift of God in each person. We don't give up on each other, and we keep on, shoulder to shoulder, on mission to the purpose that he called us to. We need to be relational. How do we persevere in all the difficulties that is presented to us as in the mission. There's significant opposition. There's difficulties. There's, there's people that are struggling all the time, weary and tired. How do we survive for the long haul? Well, God's means of grace to us to survive in mission is relationships one with another. Like you cannot do this on your own. We need each other. This is what Paul says. Verse 18, he says this, for they refreshed my spirit as well as yours, now give recognition to these people. Refreshed. How many of you have been around someone who, like, 
Maybe you've been with them for a few minutes. It's like, wow, I feel so refreshed. Have you, have you been around people and feel so drained? You like being around someone's like, oh, I cannot stand another minute with this guy. I feel like the life for me is being sucked from me. But to be around someone who's refreshing, oh, I mean, who doesn't want that? Who's like, no, I don't want any version of Christianity where I'm being refreshed. You know, I want the grumpy, miserable Christians. That's what I want. No, we were made to relate one with another. Every single one of you, no matter who you are in this room, no matter if you're introvert or extrovert, we are made to relate with each other. We were made to need each other. And by God's amazing plan, we're on mission together, and we are called to be refreshing to one another. To refresh one another. Now, I would imagine that you've been refreshed, hopefully, in this church by someone over the last year or two years. And I, you, you would know it because you remember it because it makes such a big impact in your life. When someone looks at you in the eye and says, hey, you know, it looks like you're struggling, but I want you to know that you are so valuable to us as a community and your friendship to me matters so much. And I am so thankful for the gift that you are and the contribution that you have given to me and to all of us. You make a difference in this church and I want to pray for you, come alongside you, encourage you that you would continue to have the strength to keep on making the difference that you're making in my life and all of our lives because you really matter and we need you. We can't can't lose you. If someone said that to you, you'd be pretty refreshed. I could tell you friends in the last three months who have looked me in the eyes and said that exact same thing to me. And as a result, I feel refreshed. If we're going to survive in the mission for the long haul. We need to be refreshed. Now, who's to do the refreshing? Is it three people in this room? All right, we've got a new serve team. We need some volunteers. We need th- at least three refreshers in this church. <laughs> you guys better refresh us. You better not drop the ball. We all want to be refreshed. You've got to do some refreshing. Now, if we want to be refreshed, we have to start refreshing others. Think about it. There's no doubt in my mind if you've been in this church, there's someone who's refreshed you, someone who's been life-giving to you. So now you go and tell them how refreshing they have been. Let them know. Some of you are in community groups, and you have been super difficult with your community group leader. You just whine and complain, talk about all your problems, and not even recognize that your community group leader has problems too. Maybe you need to go refresh them and thank you. Thank them for their love for you. Maybe we need to refresh some of our musicians who spend so, many, so much time preparing and practicing to minister to us that we would be refreshed in a moment of worship. And if we're going to survive the long haul, we have to open up our mouth and start refreshing one another. This is the mission that God's called us to. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Brian.
we are going to take some time to reflect upon this message. And so the musicians are going to come up and we're going to sing one more song. And it's not just a nice way to end, even though it is a nice way to end. Um, but it's time to reflect on what God has spoken this morning. God, what did you say to me this morning? And I would encourage you during this time to consider and to ask God to enlarge the boundaries of your faith. When Brian was talking about that, it really just jumped in my mind. It was the parable of the talents and how to whom was given, um, who's faithful with little will be faithful with much. But you have to be faithful with the little first. You don't get to the much first. And so if we haven't been faithful with that little, God actually says that's going to be what little you have is going to be taken away. And so we have to take what God's given to us and not just say, Lord, I'm, just, I'm waiting for this to be bigger because it's not enough right now. I don't have enough faith right now. No, we have to be faithful in what he's given us. So to consider what does God has you to be faithful in? What is that next step that needs to be taken? Where's that big faith that he's asked you to just be confident in me for, trust in me for, and move forward in it? Start moving towards it as a reality. Don't jump there yet, because you're not there yet, but move forward with God in the faith that he's given you. And as you have more and more faith, he will enlarge your faith and give you greater faith that you can be that encouragement to others. You know, I went through that hard time too. I went through that difficult time too, and you know what? God was faithful. And that's when we get to spur one another on to greater good deeds. So would you stand with us as we continue to worship?